uh, that we do believe in a presence of Christ at the supper. Although the bread and the wine don't literally change in the body and blood of the Lord, it doesn't mean that we're not spiritually feeding upon the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Um, and now what we're going to do this afternoon is, afternoon is I'm just going to expand on what happens at the supper. So if you were ever wondering, uh, when I take the bread and the wine or the bread and the cup, what's happening to me? You know, we talk about the supper being a means of grace. So we're going to get into how the, the supper, how the bread and the wine are used uh, to bring grace into our souls. So we're going to do that in three points. Number one, the Lord's Supper as a sign and instrument of grace. Number two, Christ as the source of grace. And number three, deification as the telos of grace. So the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine as a sign and instrument of grace. The second point is Christ, the source of grace. And number three, deification, that is becoming like God as the end goal of grace, the end goal of us taking the supper. <clears throat> Let's consider the first point, and that is the Lord's Supper as a sign and instrument of grace. What is an instrument? What is an instrument? The claim, and the one I'm making, is that the bread and the wine, the bread and the cup, are instruments. They are instruments. And what I don't mean when I say the supper is an instrument is a musical instrument. Uh, we don't use the bread and wine like we use a trumpet or a saxophone um, or any sort of musical instrument. So we aren't thinking that respect. Um, but when we think about instruments and instruments in general, you know them quite well. Uh, what is the instrument that the that your power of seeing is using right now? Your eye. So your power of seeing, your body is using your eye, right? Um, you can think of uh, more instruments such as if you wanted to amplify your seeing, there are man-made instruments such as a telescope or a microscope. Uh, what is the instrument that many of you are using right now to turn the page of your Bibles? Your hand. Your, your hand is being used as an instrument. Uh, think of a painter. In order for a painter to um, paint on the canvas, well, yes, he can use his uh, his hand, right, as an instrument. Usually what a painter uses is a paintbrush. So a paintbrush then is used as an instrument in order for the painter to accomplish his task. Now, um, when a painter uses a paintbrush, he's using the paintbrush in order for him or the paintbrush to do something that's beyond its natural capacity, meaning it is of the nature of a paintbrush to smear paint on a canvas. But it is not of the nature of a paintbrush to smear paint on a canvas with precision, accuracy, and beauty. A paintbrush cannot pick up itself, go to a canvas, and start, you know, painting the Mona Lisa. But what a paintbrush needs then is a higher user. A paintbrush needs someone beyond who they are or what it is in order to complete a higher mission, a higher goal. Think of the writers of scripture, the writers of scripture. How can we say that the letter of Romans was written by Paul, but also was written by God? I mean, that's that's a dilemma, is it not? How can we say that the uh, the the uh, first Peter and second Peter are written by Peter? 
while at the same time saying that it's written by God. Well, instrumental causality, which is what we want to technically want to talk, call it, it helps with this. The prophets and writers of Scripture were used as instruments of God. Again, the writers of Scripture were used as instruments of God. In other words, through human words, God speaks. Through human words, God speaks. So you have, um, as a cause of Scripture, you do have Paul as a cause of Scripture. But you also have God as a cause of Scripture. God being the called principal cause. And Paul, Peter, uh, James, Moses being the efficient cause. The writers of Holy, Holy Scripture were acting as instruments of God through his inspiration. As one theologian says, the sacred authors worked on their own level through historical research, gathering the testimony of witnesses, ordering and synthesizing the material, and finally writing it down with suitable metaphors and figures of speech. But while working on their own level, they were guided by a higher agent, the Holy Spirit. Just as the paintbrush is working on its own level, it's also being guided by a higher agent. Just just as uh, your hand, right, uh, flipping through pages, it's able to flip through pages because it's being worked on by a higher user. Just as the writers of Scripture. The writers of Scripture were able to work on a capacity higher than themselves by the Holy Spirit who directed their efforts to a higher goal, God's revelation to mankind. So again, saints, we see from the paintbrush to the writers of Scripture, I would also add in the human Christ. How is Christ able to heal with a human touch? It's because Christ's divinity, right? So when Christ touches a man, a leopard, he is healed. Christ touches a leopard with a human touch, and the power of his divinity runs through his humanity. So his divinity, or rather his humanity, is used as an instrument. A different type of instrument, but nevertheless an instrument. Thomas Aquinas says, But the instrumental cause works not by the power of its form, but only by the motion whereby it is moved by the principal agent. That's important to understand. That when an instrument is used, it does not, it's not being used and working upon something on its own power. But it's being used and it's worked upon by a higher user. Uh, one more example. Uh, Hilda, I'm sorry, I just looked at you and you got a good example. Hilda is writing, right, on a paper using a pen. The pen cannot write on the paper apart from a higher user that is Hilda. Simply put. Okay? Now how does, how does this relate to the Lord's Supper? Specifically, as the Lord's Supper is an instrument of grace. Now, saints, we have a dilemma on our hands. To say that the bread and the wine are instruments of grace, it seems incorrect. Because only God alone can give grace. So how can we say that the Lord's Supper is an instrument of grace when only God alone can give grace? In fact, the Reformed Scholastic Francis Turretin says rightly, I confess that an external thing cannot confer grace physically. Confer meaning bestow. Substantially and immediately. So he, he, he understands the dilemma. That there is nothing in this world that can give grace in and of itself. Bread and wine cannot give grace to your soul. 
But then he says this, but nothing hinders it from doing, from doing this instrumentally immediately. The Holy Spirit principally working through this. What Turretin is saying is the bread and wine cannot in themselves confer grace. But if the bread and wine are used as an instrument by a higher user of the Holy Spirit, they can give grace. <clears throat> if the Holy Spirit is used by a higher, if the, rather the bread and wine are used by a higher user, then the bread and wine can be used to confer grace. This is what the majority of the Reformed affirm, that the bread and the wine are instruments of the Holy Spirit that exhibit and offer Christ, that give to us grace. Again, saints, not that the bread and wine in and of themselves confer grace, but what we're saying is but the bread and wine are used by the Spirit to give grace. The bread and the wine are used by the Spirit. So in other words, this is not just ordinary bread and wine. It's used by the Holy Spirit to bestow upon you Jesus Christ to give you grace. This is why the Lord's Supper is a sacred meal. Because it gives to us something, well I'm getting ahead of myself, but it gives to us something that the world can't give us, cannot bestow upon us. You see, saints, although the Lord's Supper is a sign that points to Christ, the Supper does not simply offer an empty sign. It is a sign that points to Christ, but it's not an empty sign. But at the supper, you, saints, if you are privileged to partake of the supper today, and hear me now, you, saints, are going to feed upon Jesus Christ. That is what's actually going to happen today. Worthy receivers will partake of the body and blood of Christ by the Spirit. So, saints, we could say a lot of this, that the Lord's Supper, just as, just as the pin in Hilda's hand is being used by Hilda, the Lord's Supper is being used by the Holy Spirit to give to you grace. That's essentially what's happening. We can say, saints, that these earthly elements that you see before you, these earthly elements that the Spirit uses, the Spirit uses us or uses those earthly elements to lead us to the heavenly Christ. You see, you might say, how can we receive Christ when Christ is, you know, I mean, heaven's not technically up there, but let's just say up there. There's a distance between us and Christ. How can we get to Christ? The Spirit. The Spirit works beyond spatial bounds. How do we know that? Because the Spirit worked beyond spatial bounds to save you. Wherever you were <laughs> at your time of when Christ saved you. So these earthly elements then, they're heavenly food, that lead us to heavenly to the heavenly Christ. We see this idea in Scripture, First Corinthians uh, ten sixteen. And mind you, I'm using the same scriptures every single time. Um, that speak to much of what I'm going to, what I'm saying. It is not the cup of blessing which uh, which we bless a sharing in the body of Christ. It is not the bread which we break a sharing in, in the body. Um, oh, I got that I'm mixed up. I'm sorry. The sharing in the blood of Christ, um, the cup that we bless, is not a, the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ. Hear me now, Paul is saying that what you are drinking is not just drink, and what you are drinking is not just bread. But there is a union between the bread and the wine and the body and blood of the Lord, so much so that when we, when you partake of the supper by faith, you are actually partaking of the body and blood of Christ. That's what he's saying. Mysterious, I know, but glorious, is it not? <clears throat> 
That's so much so, saints, that we partake of the body and blood of Christ. Our Lord says in John 6, 48-51, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down out of heaven so that anyone may eat from it uh, and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I will give for life, for the life of the world, is also my flesh. The bread and wine, they link us to the body and blood of Christ. For what? For spiritually sustaining us. We heard this morning that there's tribulation even now, right? That we're in this wilderness wandering and we need manna. Well, what Christ gives to us is not the manna that our forefathers ate. Christ gives to us his very flesh so that what? We can undergo and persevere through tribulation. Well, how do we know that we can persevere? Yes, Christ seals us by the spirit, but also he gives to us his body and blood. He gives to us something greater than what our fathers ate. Because they ate and they died. We eat of this food. And we shall live forever. It is this bread that the Spirit uses to put your soul, saint, hear me now, your soul into direct contact with Jesus Christ. You see, there's something that happens at the supper. There is a closeness that you receive in the supper with your Christ that you do not get anywhere else. What happens then at the supper is that we are put in contact with Christ. And in many ways, what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit gives Jesus Christ the bread and wine so that Christ can give to us his life. Let's consider the second point. Christ as the source of grace. Jesus Christ as the source of grace. Since the bread and wine are instruments of grace, we have to ask, where does this grace come from? Where does this grace come from? So we have the bread and wine, instruments of grace. Now, where does the grace come from? And I would argue that the grace that the Spirit gives to us comes from God, specifically through the humanity of Jesus Christ. And we have to get this point because this is everything hinges um, on this point here. Now, immediately, a few questions should arise. Is anyone cold? Can we t- turn it down a little bit? <laughs> Thanks. I know because my hands are like, you know, Titanic. Leonardo DiCaprio are cold right now. So, I, yeah. A few questions should arise. For one, what is it about the grace or what is it about the humanity of Christ that enabled him to be the source of grace? Just as we heard this morning from Pastor Antonio, What is it about the blood of Christ that enables his blood to wash the elders' robes? So what is it about the blood of Christ where he can be the source of grace in his humanity? And secondly, how can it, how can Christ as man give grace when only God can give grace? Doesn't make any sense. Both of these questions can receive the same answer. Let's consider the first. What is it about Jesus Christ's humanity that enables him to be the source of grace. What What is it about the humanity of Christ that enables him to be the source of grace? To make better sense of the question, think about what you eat. 
and the nutritional value of the things that you eat. So if you were sick, um, my father was sick, for instance, and his doctor told him that you have to eat a certain diet. Because based upon these certain foods, you're going to extract certain things. So let's say if someone is um, needs more B vitamins, you're probably going to eat some more steak and red meat. If you want more micronutrients, then you're probably going to want to eat some more vegetables. Because you eat these specific foods, because from these specific foods, you're able to extract things from these foods that you're not able to eat from other foods, essentially. What I'm getting at is this, saints. That the humanity of Christ, what, what is it about the humanity of Christ that we can get from him that we can't get from anyone else? What is it about the humanity of Christ that we can't get from anyone else? Here's the answer. Grace. Just as you receive various things from red meat, you receive various um, nutrients from chicken, you receive various nutrients from the apple pie that all of you ate. What do we receive from Christ? Grace. That's what we get from Christ. Theologians taking their warrant from Scripture, have confessed that Christ's humanity, from the very moment of conception, was supernaturally elevated. Christ's humanity, from the very moment of conception, the very moment that the virgin was, the very moment that the virgin was able to, to, to conceive, right, and, 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 and have a, a child, that child, from the instant of, of, of conception, was grace. And not graced the way you and I are graced. We're graced. However, Jesus Christ was graced to its maximalist capacity. He had the fullness of grace in his humanity. Consider this quote from the Puritan John, uh, John Owen. The humanity of Christ, the human nature of Christ being thus formed in the womb by a created act of the Holy Spirit was in the instant of his conception sanctified and filled with grace. Now, why does Christ need the fullness of grace? Well, one reason was for him to be a perfect savior. In a sin-sick world, living in the very opposite of Eden, he needed the fullness of grace in order for him to be our savior. This is what we read also in the scriptures, John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, Full of grace and truth. So this one who's always in the bosom of the father, this one, this eternal son becomes incarnate and he's given the fullness of grace. Isaiah 11:2. and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We don't do a lot of we don't do enough of this in, the, in our reform tradition, but we should. Here these, these texts speak of the sacred humanity of Christ. That Jesus Christ, although he is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh, he is supernaturally elevated to such a degree where he has the fullness of the Spirit and the fullness of grace. <clears throat> Who, more closely than anyone, participates in the divine life. That is what grace is in its very, in its very essence and soul. Grace is given as an unmerited favor to you to participate in the life of God. That's what grace is. It's for Christ, or rather us, and whoever to participate in the divine life. Well, 
the, the closeness that one has to God, the more grace that they have. Well, is there anyone more closer than the human Christ? Who's united to the eternal word? How does this relate to the Lord's Supper? Christ doesn't just have the fullness of grace so that he, uh, so that he can merit our salvation. But Christ needed the fullness of grace so that we can receive grace. Christ needed the fullness of grace so that we can receive grace. In other words, it's not enough for Jesus to have the fullness of grace if he cannot distribute it to the members of his body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-19, He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come uh, to a first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. And we read in John 1, 14, um, through and, uh, and 16, uh, we just read this. This one who has the fullness of grace, in verse 16 it says, For of his fullness we all receive grace upon grace. From the fullness of the grace that Christ has in his humanity, we have received. What these verses teach us, teach us is that the grace that was given to Christ was not given to him as an isolated individual. But the grace that was given to Christ was given to one who's a federal head, one who's a representative, one who is a head to a body. And here's the argument. The body can't or rather the head can't have what the body also can't have. Just as if you stub your toe, all the members of your body feels it. So just as... Mom, just as when you receive grace or when Christ receives grace as he is the head of the church, he as the head, the fullness of grace, distributes it to the members of his body. When does this happen? At the Lord's Supper? At baptism? When the word is being preached? When the word goes forth and read at prayer? Whatever the head receives, by extension, the body receives. So what we have in the Lord's Supper then, saints, is from the fullness of grace, and here this, this is beautiful, from the, from the fullness of grace that Christ has merited in his humanity, he distributes that grace to us by the Spirit. And this is extremely fitting for Christ to do so. For when we say we are united to Jesus Christ, we all say this, right? I'm in union with Christ. I'm in union with Christ. What we mean is that we are united to Christ, but specifically, we are united to the human nature of Christ. Now, here's the logic of this. The eternal son assumes our humanity in order for us to be redeemed, in order to heal our humanity. If that is so, then it is fitting and necessary that that humanity that was assumed would be the substance that's offered to us in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Again, if Jesus, the eternal son, assumes human flesh, then it must be human flesh that's offered to us in the supper. And we must feed upon that human flesh. In other words, it is Christ at the supper who gives to us his humanity in order to elevate our humanity. Humanity for humanity. It is Christ at the supper bidding us, come be like me. I'm offering you myself so you can be like me. One beautiful way to think about this is at the supper, Christ supernaturally touches us. 
Christ supernaturally touches us. Think of, think of when Christ or his earthly ministry, when he touched people. He touched people and then what happens? They're healed. But how does he touch people? He touches people with a human touch. So what we have at the supper is we are feeding upon the human Christ. And in many ways, like, like when he was here on earth, he's touching us and he's healing us. He heals us once again. At the supper, Christ uses earthly elements. Just as his divinity used an earthly creature, creaturely element, his human nature to touch people, to heal people, Christ uses earthly elements, the bread and the wine, to touch us, to heal us, to elevate us. Isn't, isn't that a wonderful way of thinking of the Lord's Supper? And what I'm trying to do, saints, I mean, John Owen once said that it's, it's, not, it's not the frequency in which we partake of the Lord's Supper that we undermine the value of the Lord's Supper, is that we don't come to the Lord's Supper with intensity. And I'm giving you ways in which you can think of the Lord's Supper that heightens your intensity when you approach the Supper. That Christ is touching you and healing you, supernaturally elevating you. If you want to be a better person, don't read 10 steps of how to be a better person. Come to the Lord's table by faith, essentially, where Christ can work on you. Just as Christ, who is truly human, uses humanity to heal, then Christ, who is truly God, I'm sorry, Christ who is truly God, who uses humanity to heal. In the Lord's Supper, God uses earthly elements to heal us. What is the reason then, saints, lastly, for Christ to give us grace at the Supper? Why is he giving us grace? The end goal for the Lord's Supper, simply put, is to deify us. That's the goal of the Supper, to deify us. If you remember last month, we consider the motive of the incarnation. It's kind of, um, it's a, a little scandalous at first, right? When Athanasius says, God became man so that man can become God. The reason why you were created was for you to be like God. That is the motive of the eternal son assuming human flesh. So that human flesh can participate in the divine life. You can be raised to a higher life. In fact, this is what Peter says, right, in First, Second Peter 1. Through these, uh, through these, he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So, so then the logic of the supper is very similar to the logic of the incarnation. If the eternal son assumed human flesh in order for human flesh to be like God, that the Lord gives to us his humanity in order that we may be like him in his humanity. We can be graced to a certain extent that we can be like him. Now, what does it mean to be deified? Well, you can go back and listen to the sermon, but simply put, um, in many ways, it means for us to share in the, in the life of God. That we are, that we will be incorrupt the same way God is incorrupt. You will, you will receive glory in the same way God has glory. You will be immutable the same way God is immutable. Think of even this morning. Christ will wipe away our tears. Right? How, how are we unable to shed tears? Well, it's not because we're necessarily in the new heavens and the new earth, but because our nature will be so elevated that we cannot undergo 
sorrow. We will not be able to undergo pain because we will be like God. We will share in his eternal blessedness. And this is what it all means to be deified. 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 49, just as we bore the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Right now, saints, currently what's happening is you're going from dust to glory. You're going from bearing the image of the man that brought you corruption to the man that is now the God man that has now entered into a state of incorruptibility. He's taking you to that state. He's taking you to that estate. What we read from the word of God is that the motive of the incarnation and the motive of the Lord's Supper is so that we could be raised up to be like Christ. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 is the cup of blessing which we bless, not a sharing in the blood of Christ. Is the body which we, uh, the bread that which we would not break, a sharing in the blood of Christ or the body of Christ. This word sharing means to participate in, to share, for, for Christ to give to us his divine life. You see, Christ's humanity lives the divine life. He's the first one that has lived the divine life. But he won't be the last. And just as Pastor Antonio said this morning, you know, we don't wait till the end for tribulation. We don't wait for the end for deification. We don't wait for the end to become like God. We become like God even here on this earth. And when we partake of the the bread and the wine, what happens is Christ is giving to us life so that we can have on this earth and live on this earth the divine life. You can live like Christ. You can be like Christ. Now, of course, I'm not teaching perfectionism because that will never happen in this life. But Christ does give to you a taste, a foretaste of what you will be. Not necessarily where you will be at, but who you will be. Here and now. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what type of blood and what type of body does Christ have that enables him to deify us? Well, simply put, even, even Christ who gives to us his human body, he gives to us his human blood, that human body of blood, is the human body and blood of the eternal Son. It's the human body and blood of the eternal Son. This is why we can partake of Christ's flesh. And isn't it interesting? He says, eat of my flesh, have eternal life. Where in the world can we get a body and then have eternal life? Where in the world can we drink blood and have eternal life? Only if if that body and blood, right, is hypothetically united to the eternal word, only if that body and blood is the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, who is the eternal son. This is why, saints, this is why, saints, the blood of Jesus Christ covers a multitude of sins. How can the blood of a man cover a multitude of sins? How can the blood of a man take away our sins for all time? Because the blood that he shares is of infinite value. And that same blood that was shed that is of infinite value is the same blood, saints, that you drink upon each Sunday afternoon. That same body that was put on that cross as that cross also was an instrument. How does God save you? Through instruments, through a cross, through nails, through suffering. 
that body that was that was lifted up is the same body that is given to you. We heard this morning that um, as the elders' robes were washed by the blood of Christ, and I love the way Pastor Antonio put it. It's very ironic that blood washes something white and pure. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense, right? Well, only if that blood, though, is of infinite value, then it has the capacity to wash someone pure. So just as, and here's a logic, just as in Revelation 7, 14, I think 14, 15, just as the blood of Christ washes those robes of the elders pure, the blood of Christ every single Sunday in the afternoon when we partake of the Lord's Supper, that blood purifies you. The same purification that the elders are undergoing and undergoing or went through or is going through, whatever is happening, is the same purification thing that you receive every single Sunday. So this purification then is not an end time event per se, but is an event that happens every single Sunday when we come by faith to the supper. You are being purified and being made a bride ready to see his groom. That's what's happening. Christ is giving to you grace. Grace not only to co- not only um, uh, 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 that gives to you a share in his divine life, but also for you to cooperate with. So on Monday morning, uh, when you are uh, not, you know, not in the best mood and you got to go to work and you're giving someone an attitude, God is giving you grace so that you can be like Christ. Essentially, one of the one of the ways you can think about it. And oh, how I need grace. And many of us need grace to live the way in which Christ has called us to live here on this earth. John 6, this is the bread that came down out of heaven. Not as the, not as the fathers ate and died, the one who eats this bread will live. This one who eats this bread will live. Christ then is that true manna that has come down from heaven to give to us something where we won't complain. You eat this bread, you eat this, this, this wine, you drink of, of this blood and this flesh, you will not complain like the fathers did. And you will not die like the fathers did. But you will live forever. In the supper then, what's given to us is the graces. And we're living in such tribulation, are we not? Well, then Christ gives to us the graces and the spiritual nourishment for our spiritual journey. For our spiritual journey. In closing, saints, <clears throat> we've seen that the Lord's Supper is an instrument of grace. The Holy Spirit uses the Lord's Supper to feed us Jesus Christ. Christ gives to us grace in the Supper. That is grace that comes from his humanity in order for you to be like God. Now, maybe your mother told you this. Maybe she didn't. Maybe your grandmother, whoever. But... It's often said to little ones that you are what you eat. You are what you eat. I mean, the steak and rice that I had with a little bit of the Coke is going to turn into proteins and fats and carbohydrates and do, do whatever it does in my body. Um, the uh, rain that I drunk, I know, uh, did indeed help me. Um, it gave me energy and, and the caffeine gave me energy to do what we needed and what I needed to do. So you are what you eat. And at the, at the Lord's Supper, then, what we have is Christ is giving to you himself to eat. 
Now, but it's very different from natural food. Because you will not change Christ into you at the supper as the food of the body. But at the supper, you will be changed into him. You will be changed into him. You will become then, saints, his body. And you will be made his church. So, saints, come to the supper. There are a multitude of benefits. One being that when you come to the supper by faith, then Christ has promised that he's going to elevate you. He's going to change you. He's going to spiritually nourish you and give you graces. Something that's beyond what natural food can give to you. Natural food can give to you health, but this food gives you spiritual life. So saints, let's pray and ask Christ to be with us now as we think about the supper.